this evening we are following Gil <laughs> from last night and going to open up the uh, exploration and conversation and practice around impermanence. Um, to know that as I go through my talk, I've just realized this today when I was working on it, there's a lot of my teacher's voices in here, like Gil, like Joseph, like Kitty Saro, like Philip. Are you starting to hear a pattern there? So as I wrote this today, I was like, where are the women's voices? So I say that to one, just acknowledge that. And two, if there are any of my Dharma sisters out there who have, might have the inclination uh, to get some more words on the paper to be used by us. So I'm going to begin by reading a quote by James Baldwin, um, who was a writer, uh, artist, activist, and very, very important in the civil rights struggles in the 50s and the 60s. Um, he was also an African-American gay man in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and found that in order for his well-being and development of himself, he had to move to France and live in Europe for many, many, many years until it became evident to him that he could no longer live there because of what was happening in this country and not being able to turn and face himself without coming back and supporting the cause here. So this is one of the many things that he's said. Life is tragic simply because the earth turns and the sun inexorably rises and sets. And one day, for each of us, the sun will go down for the last, last time. Perhaps the whole root of our trouble, the human trouble, is that we will sacrifice all the beauty of our lives, will imprison ourselves in totems, taboos, crosses, blood sacrifices, steeples, mosques, races, armies, flags, nations, in order to deny the fact of death, which is the only fact we have. It seems to me that one ought to rejoice in the fact of death, ought to decide indeed, to earn one's death by confronting with passion the conundrum of life. One is responsible to life. It is the small beacon in that mystery of darkness from which we come and to which we shall return. One must negotiate this passage as nobly as possible for the sake of those who are coming after us. It is the responsibility of free men to trust and to celebrate what is constant. Birth, struggle, and death are constant, and so is love, though we may not always think so. And to apprehend the nature of change, to be able and willing to change. I speak of change not on the surface, but in the depths change in the sense of renewal. But renewal becomes impossible if one supposes things to be constant that are not. Safety, for example, 
or money or power. One clings then to chimeris, which is the illusion or fabrication of the mind, an unrealizable dream, by which one can only be betrayed, and the entire hope, the entire possibility of freedom disappears. What is it we can meet in silence? Not the silence of ignoring or turning away or the uncomfortable at times awkward silence of not knowing, but the silence of the awakened heart and mind unfettered by a muddy mind. Gill has said that he felt that at many times one of the best containers for what is going on in life is silence. Yes, that Gill. <laughs> there is something very powerful and very sacred about holding what is going on in silence. There is a knowing of respect for those times in life you can't really know what to do or you can't really do anything. Sometimes it is very honorable, a very honorable way of being with the impossible. When we bring mindfulness to our experience, when we sit and meditate, we are in the action of bringing forth a different way of seeing, a different way of understanding than the usual mundane everyday perception of experience. When insight is present, there is the coming forth of the and, and, the relative and the ultimate understanding. Before this mind training, and even at times when practice is alive and strong, we move in and out of seeing things how and are, and through misperception. We go about our daily life looking at that life through one frame that has only one way of understanding. But when we remember or wake up, we can employ the practice and training that we have undertaken, and we can see it in a new way. This new way is most often enlightening and revealing and can offer a new way to live in the world which has always been there, the world of seeing this is how things are. It is one of the paradoxes of meditation practice that the stiller the mind becomes in meditation, the quieter it becomes, the more we become acutely aware of how things are always changing. The busier the mind, the more agitated the mind, the more the mind tries to create the idea of permanence and stability. That is partly because when the mind is really busy and active, it tends to take up residence in the world of concepts and ideas because that is what the mind is chasing. Ideas often have a kind of stability to them, or we relate to them as if they are stable. So when we start to stop the busyness and chatter of the mind, and we become still, then what we see are not concepts, 
but rather the immediacy of our experience. The direct experience is not a concept, and that immediacy tends to be seen as something that is changeable, as something that is changing all the time. In this practice, and in the Dharma of Buddhism, there is a lot of emphasis on the experience of change. It is a root teaching that can set us squarely on the path to liberation. You all, we have been engaged in the training so that we can begin seeing the aspect of our present moment experience, which is always changing. We can notice that things arise, things pass away that things are there that were not there before, and then they are gone. Sometimes the experience of impermanence can be acute and swift in normal life outside of retreat, and we can be changed by it. Some of you may have heard this story before, um, so if you have, please excuse me, but it's good the second time around too. I was on long retreat at IMS um, in 2013 with some of you actually that are here. And about a week and a half into the retreat, I started experiencing these symptoms in my body, which brought great concern. And I was in silence and I was only a week and a half in and I had planned my life to be there for six weeks. The first thing that happened after disbelief and coming around to understanding this is how things are um, was a great agitation in the mind and the body. So much so that for the next two days, basically, all I could do was walk at a really, really, really fast clip. I couldn't sit at all. My body couldn't contain the energy of anxiety and worry. Of course, I went to Carol, who was uh, one of my interviewing teachers, and Joseph, who was another interviewing teacher. And Carol was quite supportive and, you know, gave me lots of ways to work with it. And Joseph said, oh, this might be a really good time to work with death contemplation. (laughs) And I said, okay, guy, you're my coach. I'll, you know, I'll give it a try. Um, which I did, and it was actually um, that retreat that began my journey into true knowing of the reality of impermanence, because overnight my life changed drastically. Not to say that clearly I'm sitting here so there was very positive outcome to the situation, which did involve surgery and recovery, Um, But having had that instance of before and after really took away the settledness of the um, delusion that things are permanent, that I won't get sick, that I won't die, that bad things won't happen to me. So that was one of the doorways of my becoming quite familiar with this concept of impermanence. This experience of the body being not I and the impermanence of the nature of things was a real lesson in how quickly things can change. If one is able to access courage and intention, you can come away from a life-changing experience asking the questions, how do I want to live my life? What is really important 
and valuable? What does it mean to be a human being? What do I want to contribute to this earth walk? There are three characteristics, the three primary insights that give insight meditation its very name, insight. The first of the three insights is impermanence. The second is suffering, of which I'm sure you all are all too familiar with. And the third is not self, which you'll hear about tomorrow night. Today I offer just a bit of thoughts on impermanence. And I say a bit because it's massive. Like Gil was saying earlier, we could do a whole retreat just on impermanence, which is not a bad idea. (laughs) So I'm just going to offer a little bit in terms of my thoughts about it. The three characteristics are emphasized in the Buddhist tradition for a variety of reasons. One reason is that they are true. And you can try it on for yourself. But I certainly believe it. I've seen it in action in my life. That these truths can characterize our experience. That there are some very deep and important aspects to them. That there is impermanence. That there is suffering and that there is not self. One of the reasons why it is important in meditation to have some insight into the three characteristics is that they are a means for a vehicle to liberate the mind. Understanding the three characteristics and employing practice offer the possibility for the mind and the heart not to be shackled, not to be obstructed, not to be frustrated and angry, not to be held back by fear, by distress, by greed, by holding and clinging. This makes possible this very deep insight into these three characteristics. With this practice, we aim to open up to the world of impermanence in all of the ways that it exists. How can we use this understanding to see in such a way that it helps us become freer? Can we ask the question to become motivated to go in that direction partly out of compassion and care for the world around us? This world and these times need people who can be present in ways that are not filled with suffering. As Gil spoke about um, in one of his talks in the Dhammapada, there is a statement about these three characteristics. It's very interesting because of what it adds. The basic formula for the three characteristics basically says, all created things are impermanent. All created things are suffering. All things are not self. It says that all created things are impermanent and that all created things are in some ways not satisfactory. But it also then changes and goes on to say that all things are not self. More about that shift in tomorrow's talk. That is the basic formula. Here is the exact reading from the Dhammapada. All things are impermanent. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted 
with suffering. This is the path to purity. All created things are suffering. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. All things are not self. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. When I was in CDL4, um, we had quite a diverse community, and one of my uh, good friends and and loved ones um, was very much and is very much um, a gospel music appreciator. And so she made a little ditty for us to sing around impermanence. I don't know, many of you may not know, but CDL4 had a choir. CDL4 stands for Community Dharma Leaders. And uh, we're on YouTube even. (laughs) So here's the ditty that Tawari made up or put music to because actually it's a teaching. All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be one with this truth brings happiness. There you go. Let that run around in your mind a little bit. (laughs) We need to see impermanence as an immediate perception. Another one of my opportunities to gain insight and clarity around um, impermanence was again at IMS. Um, I think it might have been that same retreat. I'm not sure. But later into the retreat where there was... um, I was just alive with um, joy and love and clarity and wisdom and understanding. Just, oh. <laughs> and I took a walk outside and there was this um, lily flower which was opened perfectly. It was at the zenith of its expression. And I stood and looked at it for a moment and was enraptured by its beauty. And then mine said, go get your camera so you can take a picture of it. And I ran inside to get my camera, came back, and the moment was gone. It was past the zenith. That was another really, really big learning for me about really being present in the moment with the direct experience, not trying to cling. One of the noble things to do in human life is to get to the heart of human suffering the causes of it, and somehow come to terms with it. The insight into impermanence allows us to understand that our life is precious and it is short. So for my own well-being and for the sake of others, I will intend to know and understand impermanence and look at what is really important and bring it into the world. It may be really important to get to the root of suffering. Another way to hear this is to understand that you are interested in happiness and that you want to live a life that is happy and peaceful and somehow it has a deep abiding sense of well-being. This is a sense of well-being that is not easily blown away by the causes and conditions of the world or one's life. Anicca, the rapid and endlessly changing nature of all things in life. 
Nietzsche meaning permanent. A Nietzsche, not permanent. The process of ripening takes time. You have been focusing on calming, stabilizing, steadying the mind. And now we turn the volume up on Vipassana insight. Isn't that cool? That's another gillism. Turn the volume up on Vipassana insight and start to look at the nature of these conditions and forms. There are three different levels or ways of experiencing impermanence. The ordinary level available to everyone. Everyone can see that change is happening all around us all the time. The seasons, health, loss, births, marriages, work, financial standing. At times, change is tragic or wrenching, which brings suffering. And other times, change is a delight, like when something is unpleasant for a long time, and then it's over. Two or three years before my experience at IMS, I went through a two-year period um, which consisted of one major loss after another. At IMS, that seems to be the seat of a lot of my experience. Are you getting that? I'm just hearing myself say that frequently this evening. At IMS, um, my husband and I were there on retreat, and uh, it was the end of the POC retreat, and we usually take a picture. And he was so excited to get into the picture, when he came out of the door, he missed the first step and fell down the steps of the dining room and detached the ligament in his knee such that his leg didn't work. And there's a whole story about getting home and all that, but I'm not going to tell you about that. But that was the beginning of this two-year period where after that, three months later, my father died. And then after that, three months later, my husband lost his job. And then after that, five months later, I lost my job. And then after that, about four months later, we lost our home and moved in with my mother. Um, who we still live with, and who was 93 years old last Monday, and still driving herself to the supermarket. <laughs> so in that two-year period of experience, that loss, literally um, how I would explain it to people, um, because basically it touched into every domain of life. Like, we lost our financial standing, lost parents and relationships, lost identities. I know for me, you know, I can't speak for him, but coming out of that experience, no longer was I who I had ever known myself to be. But what that set up was the possibility. I don't think I'd be here as a teacher now if that hadn't happened, actually. So, you know, there's always, in the impermanence, in the rising and falling, in the change, there's always the opportunity that exists, that comes into existence. So the, the struggle to hold on, the, um, the, uh, the agitation of mind, heart, and body, when we see something moving away, when we see the loss, when we see the impermanence, may be a cruel trick that we're playing on ourselves because oftentimes what becomes available on the other side of it, we couldn't have gotten to without that experience. 
when we really take in the impermanent nature of things, it gives us a depth and richness to life that can be satisfying and or uncomfortable, but either way, there is beauty. Eagle poem by Joy Hardrow, Native American woman poet. To pray, you open your whole self, to sky, to sun, to moon, to one whole voice that is you. And know there is more that you can't see, can't hear, can't know, except in moments, steadily growing, and in languages that aren't always sound, but other circles of motion. Like Eagle that Sunday morning over Salt River, circles in blue sky in wind swept our hearts clean with sacred wings. We see you, see ourselves, and know that we must take the utmost care and kindness in all things. Breathe in, knowing we are made of all this, and breath, knowing we are truly blessed because we were born and die soon within a true circle of motion, like eagle rounding out the morning. Inside us, we pray that it will be done in beauty. In beauty. How do we participate in the world? If things were always permanent and fixed, then we could not change anything. However, we know the world is a changing world and a changeable world. And to some degree, we have some role in creating that change. One of the places that role has the greatest importance is the responsibility we have in directing the change of our own heart, our own minds, our own physical and psychological being, and our own spiritual life. Ajahn Chah, first one learns the Dharma, but does not yet understand it. Then one understands the Dharma, but has not yet practiced. One practices, but has not seen the truth of Dharma. Then one sees Dharma, but one's being has not yet become Dharma. To become the Dharma, it is difficult, but possible, for each person to come to and realize in their own heart the true nature of things, and that is the way towards freedom. What is unique to Buddhism is not the experience of ordinary impermanence, but the experience of the second and third levels of impermanence. The second level is impermanence at the insight level. That is when we experience things without the filter of our labels and concepts. We tend to give things a semblance of permanence. We do it to ourselves and to other people and to our life all too often. We see ourselves in certain ways. We limit ourselves and put ourselves in certain categories and assume it is this way. 
to be able to drop behind the concepts or let go of the concepts is one of the results we seek from this practice. The component of mindfulness that is insight has to do with training the mind to relax enough so that we are not thinking about things so much. That means things in the past, things in the future, or even things in the present. That does not mean we zone out or get mush-mind. It actually provides the ground for becoming more clearly perceptive of what is going on right here, right now. There is a clear and heightened sense of seeing what is happening now. When we stop thinking about things and see them in their immediate expression of perception and in presence, then we enter the experience of insight impermanence. Lastly, we can open to the third level of insight. This can be called the liberative level of insight. And I quote this from Gill. That is the experience of liberation that can come in the moment when we see impermanence so acutely and deeply so that the heart says, I might as well give up. I might as well let go. Or I can't do anything else about this but let go. For some people, the deep insight into impermanence is called a gate to liberation. This is the avenue by which some people relax the heart. That is what the heart wants. The heart and the mind is the same. The heart-mind wants to be so deeply trusting and settled on itself that it is not even holding on to itself. There is so much trust in the heart that there is no need to contract or hold on no matter what is going on. We are engaged in this activity of awakening. In some way, we have a faith or a trust in this process. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We think we are moving through the retreat. However, the retreat experience keeps unfolding in the heart. The first two weeks were here and now they're gone. Sunday was here and now dissolved. Monday, dissolved. Tuesday, shortly dissolved. Life keeps manifesting, although we think we are moving through life. We are not destined to be doomed by our worries and our fears and the things we have not attended to. Everything is shifting and dissolving. You have worked with many difficult states over these days that we are not ordinarily engaged with in day-to-day living. You have faced undigested exhaustion, drivenness, yearning, frustration, and worry. There is at this time in retreat for some a desire to just coast. It's kind of cool here. Just sit back. Enjoy. (laughs) The samadhi has developed. The freshness and aliveness of the heart and mind has been cultivated. It is enticing and delicious. But if you listen for that still, small voice where the inner world is screaming for attention, rock on. 
continue the journey with conviction of an empowered practice. Use this time well. You have done all the prep work. Now you get to create the delicious meal. Each of us defining for ourselves what is this contemplative path all about. We can use these moments of beauty and sacred space that are the fruits of our effort and in the composure, simplicity, and poise, seize becoming and look into what we take ourselves to be. There is an opportunity here as a result of the many hours and continuous effort you have extended to create the conditions that support the exploration of what causes suffering. We can look at all the ways we strive to find ease, peace, happiness, which in actuality are much of the time misguided attempts to quell what is hard to be with. Use some of this accumulated power that you have cultivated to rest in that safe harbor. Understand that calm is conditioned, that feeling good is conditioned, just as sad, angry, and frustrated is conditioned. In other words, attachment to pleasure and aversion is just the same and causes disturbances as we cling to the pleasant and resist the knowing of this with the aversion. When the subtler forms of aversion are present and we do not see them, we can get dull or restless. I think you probably have had teachings on the hindrances. When we allow what is to be, whether judged and experienced as good or bad, it softens the heart. The greatest obstruction to samadhi is aversion. Not liking this, not liking that, causes contraction and muddied seeing. Sometimes states are so powerful, there is nothing you can do about it but just bow into it. Just surrender. Be kind and have compassion for yourself. We come to learn that willpower or cajoling or all manner of attempting to shift what is arising has no real influence on the state other than perhaps solidifying it even more. Or, or if there is some shift, we incorrectly assume that there's something we did to make it happen. What we can bring to meet the condition is to acknowledge, ah, it is like this. The approach or attitude is of utmost importance. It is best to just relax and see what arises in the mind as it comes. When we have been seeking to control things and then we relax, what comes up is all the things we have been pushing away or not attending to. Ajahn Suchito calls these the orphans of consciousness. These are the conditions we lock away into the dungeons of our consciousness. Things we don't like, the doubts, the jealousies, the dreads, the shame, the resentment, all these hindrances 
It is one thing to be overwhelmed by them, but another to push them away. We must learn how to welcome these states. This is what frees the dungeons of the heart. Notice their nature is always changing. The nature of these conditions we call me. The nature of the feelings, the body, the mental formations, all phenomena arising and passing away. Impermanence, constant and consistent change. You can depend on it. It is the nature of things. The nature of moments of knowing. Pay attention to the characteristics of your experience, your direct experience. So difficult, but so simple. If one really knows change profoundly, then all the profound insights of not-self and emptiness can flow out of that. Do we really know that in a moment-to-moment way, Do not underestimate the power of not just being able to say conceptually that things change, but the power of making it immediate so that right now, the changing of my voice, the changing nature of this Dharma talk, when we break it down, sound is touching consciousness and dissolving touching consciousness and dissolving. This so-called talk is also being punctuated with moments of seeing, moments of hearing, moments of body awareness, a cascade of change. When we see Anicca, then we see Dukkha, the second characteristic, not reliable, Not a value judgment, just meaning it is this way in this moment and shifting the next. If we lean on a condition, thinking it is solid, and then that condition shifts, we fall. If we lean on a calm state, take a stand on it, when it shifts, we fall. Getting in a calm state, but not seeing it is unsatisfactory because it too shall change. When we see change and start to see things just like the dawn becomes midday and then midday becomes dusk, things by their nature become otherwise. If we expect some condition to make us happy, calm, some praise, it all leads to suffering. These conditions and circumstances are not our possessions. Each sound, each thought, each impression touches consciousness and dissolves back into the original brightness, the immeasurable letting it all be as it arises and dissolves back into presence. Contemplate that the nature of conditions is to come and go. Whatever arises, ceases. Be with the breath 
changing, realizing that it is not a thing, the in-breath and then it is gone, the out-breath and then it is gone. Our willingness to be with the nature of change is profound. The Buddha taught that the power of even one moment of recognition of change is immense. Thoughts coming and going, conditions coming and going, when we can see this as it touches consciousness and dissolves. Let it be Dharma, let it be change, just letting it be, letting each one dissolve back into Dharma and find the peace that's inherent in the heart. my last poem for the evening. She let go. She let go without a thought or a word. She let go. She let go of the fear. She let go of the judgments. She let go of the confluence of opinions swarming around her head. She let go of the committee of indecision within her. She let go of all the right reasons, wholly and completely, without hesitation or worry, she just let go. She didn't ask anyone for advice. She didn't need a book on how to let go. She didn't search the scriptures. She just let go. She let go of all the memories that held her back. She let go of all the anxiety that kept her from moving forward. She let go of the planning and all of the calculations about how to do it just right. She didn't promise to let it go. She didn't journal about it. She didn't write the projected date in her daytimer. She made no public announcement and put no ad in the paper. She didn't check the weather report or read her daily horoscope. She just let go. She didn't analyze whether she should let go. She didn't call her friends to discuss the matter. She didn't do a five-step spiritual mind treatment. She didn't call the prayer line. She didn't utter one word. She just let go. No one was around when it happened. There was no applause or congratulations. No one thanked her or praised her. No one noticed a thing. Like a leaf falling from a tree, she just let go. There was no effort. There was no struggle. It wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was what it was, and it is just that. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. A small smile came over her face. A light breeze blew through her, and the sun and the moon shone forevermore. Reverend Sapphire Rose. Thank you for your listening. Let's sit for a moment.
whatever arises ceases. Whatever arises ceases. Whatever arises ceases. It is just what it is. It is just what it is. It is just what it is. The nature of conditions is to come and go. The nature of conditions is to come and go. The nature of conditions is to come and go. Letting changing conditions just be what they are. a most good enough night for you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.